As a thankful recipient of many, many skincare products over the years, I've learned to discern what is naturally actually activating my skin to rebalance and recalibrate on its own. That's what your skin is meant to be doing, and it keeps getting disrupted by all these choices that we make. So, when the founder and creator of Herbal Face Food reached out to me, I was all ears. I didn't know why at first. It turns out that Herbal Face Food is the most potent antioxidant skincare line on the market today, period. The raw plant ingredients in each of their products are never processed, never manipulated with synthetics or emulsifiers. These anti-aging botanicals are combined with the most precious plant concentrates, and they have changed my skin. Here's how. I'm going to talk about two of the products, the Herbal Face Food Serums and the Cream. The serums contain powerful phytoenzymes and antioxidants. These are activated and infused into your tissues. They hydrate and increase the resiliency of your skin, and they feel like they're plumping up your face. I use Serum 1 daily. I use Serum 2 when I'm tired and I need extra firming for my skin. And I use the X, which is also known as the Cure, for a small patch of rosacea that flares up every now and again, which you cannot see because of these products. When you feed your skin with herbal face food, you will feel real live ingredients at work. An activating flush, an invigorating tingle, some warmth, all of these are evidence of your skin healing at the cellular level and years of damage reversing. The cream is the most potent moisturizer I've ever tried, and I've tried them all. I live in the high desert. This cream contains 102 of the world's most powerful anti-aging botanicals and is also the world's first and only edible SPF <laughs> with a protection rating of SPF 50+. Plus. And this is accomplished 100% by plant power. And you can expect intense hydration, soothing for your tired skin. You can expect to see inflammation calmed and rebuilding of elasticity so your complexion looks and feels more smooth, and more radiant. Herbal face food is not plant-based. It's plant-powered. It has the highest rating on the ORAC anti-aging scale. ORAC means oxygen radical absorbance capacity. I never knew what that meant before. Highest, over 30 million on that scale. By contrast, vitamin C in skincare rates under 100,000. Herbal face food is using all post-consumer recycled materials and packaging. They use glass and aluminum, which is super easy to recycle as well. The products and packaging are 99% free of plastics. They contain no ingredients that involve the destruction or harm of any plant, animal, or marine life. These are 100% plants only, these products. These active concentrates are coming from the seeds, the fruits, the leaves, or the flowers of the plants only. These products have been a complete revolution for me. I know that you will love the way your skin looks and feels after using it even for just a day or two. And the best part is that Herbal Face Food has offered us, you, my community, a code to receive 20% off forever, ever. The code is capital E-L-E-N-A 20. Once again, that's my name in all caps, ELENA2020. The site is herbalfacefood.com. The code is all caps ELENA20. It's not just your first purchase, it's any purchase. You will love these products, and I am so grateful, Herbal Face Food, for the change that you have made in my life. Thank you. Welcome to the Practice You podcast. My name is Elena Brower. Together, we'll explore and enjoy content and conversations around mastering transitions. In our relations, our wellness, our careers, our families, and especially in our missions and visions. You are invited to learn and love and listen with me. Welcome to Practice You. In this episode, I get to sit down with my dearest friend, Allie Bogard. She's also a yoga and meditation teacher, 
She's also had her own business in which she trains teachers, Gayatri. She and I met at the temple at Burning Man in 2012. It seems so much longer than that. She's one of the few teachers with whom I will co-teach. Her articulation is one of the reasons. Her spirit, the way she brings so much intelligence to the most ephemeral matters. Her wisdom goes so far beyond my intellect, and I feel like she carries very ancient willingness with her. She's such an exceptional friend to me. So I'm looking forward to sharing her with you. We start by going into my bookshelf, as we often do, and pulling a book that calls to us. In this case, it happened to be Mark Nepo, Things That Join the Sea and Sky. And instead of planning for a certain poem, she opens the book and sees where she lands. And here is exactly where she landed, and here is Ali Bogard starting us out reading the poem we found. Eternal two-step. What if it's all been misread? What if our insistence on primacy over each other only makes us lonely? What if the clouds we avoid float above our knotted way simply to cry for us, and it's their tears that make everything grow? Mm. But all the suffering you say, all the ways we are so cruel, I have no answer, only this. The instant our life is conceived, our death is written. The instant a darkness descends, the light that will dissipate it is waiting. The two-step that cradles our lives is unseeable and stoppable. Like surf that rushes in and undertoes out, we are made and unmade. The instant we love or suffer, some aspect of the harmony opens, and what has always been comes together, only to come apart. It renews our fear of dying and stirs our want to live. Death is everywhere today. Everywhere today. It's so strange. Is it primacy or primacy? I think it's primacy. I like the way you said it, but it could be primacy. I'll find out. (laughs) (laughs) I like not knowing. It's fine with me. Death is everywhere. But wait, how about this line? First of all, that was Mark Nepo on page 33 of Things That Join the Sea and Sky. How about this line? The instant we love or suffer, some aspect of the harmony opens. And what has always been comes together, only to come apart. Two-step. The two-step. The eternal two-step. And by the way, I've had this book for years, two years. I've never seen that. Really? Never read it. I've made copies of like half the book. Never seen it. Veils are thin. The veils are thin. This is such a sweet privilege to be here with my very best friend. I have tears in my eyes. This is actually the first podcast I'm recording, but it really won't be the first one that I release. And it will determine what the first one feels like and probably every one after. So this is no small thing. We're at home in my house in New York. We are, one of us is a little bit jet lagged. That's me. (laughs) And it just makes my heart more open. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Some harmony is coming together when we're jet lagged. And apparently we need to know about molecular hydrogen. Yeah. In any case, this is about collecting difficult moments. And I think one of the greatest things you said as we were talking about this just before we started was the whole idea of being a little girl and or a little kid and collecting things and the idea of collecting difficult moments as something that we treasure little treasures that we collect and we put them in special places and I remember when I was a kid I used to sit and you know dust off every single little Hello Kitty thing and every single little figurine again and again and again because I was uncomfortable with certain situations in my house there were many. Um, nothing was too dire, so you don't have to like feel bad for me <laughs> if you're listening. <laughs> but you know, as a kid, becomes uncomfortable with things. Things were uncomfortable, and I that's how I would get through my discomfort was rearrange my little things. And to think, as you said, about collecting difficult moments like little treasures. And I thought, you know, anyone listening to this, I want my intention is for you for this month's theme is for you to feel like you 
are validated in the real challenges that come your way and you shouldn't try to avoid them nay in fact you should try and gather them up like fuel like food and i was thinking to ask you first what difficult moments you've collected in the past little while if you care to talk about any of them or one of them and start us off because i'm going to give the listener an assignment to write out one of the difficult moments or a few of them and start to see where the gold is like where the treasure is and what's valid there okay well i'm so happy to talk to you you're always my favorite conversation love you yeah and i think that that piece about collecting difficult moments and and first tying it to a child's view is so important because you know the imagination of a child it doesn't yet have the world impressing meaning on things mm. so something happens we find a toy we get hurt somebody likes us somebody doesn't somebody yells at us somebody loves us and the meaning of of what's occurring is entirely open to our imagination and then all of these moments like these treasures we collect we make the meaning of it so you have your hello kitty doll and i have mm you know, my little stuffed animals, and they have a world all to themselves because I made it up. And then with time and with age and with, you know, schooling and conditioning, everything starts to impress a meaning upon us that we're left and it must mean we're unchosen, or we don't do well at school and it must mean we're not smart. And all of these meanings start to go out of our hands. Mm. And so... I love the way you're framing this this notion of collecting difficult moments because it puts it back into the world of imagination. And as soon as it's in the world of imagination, what happens to us might not be in our control and might not be that creative, but what we do with it or the meaning we make about it that we can reclaim creativity around it and I don't know, I feel like I'm never not <laughs> collecting difficult moments. Mm-hmm. And the one most recently, you know, I think it's tying in this theme of, of childhood and adulthood. And I don't know if you remember that moment where you started to feel like the adult with your parents. Yes, I and do. And to parent your parents. Yes, I do. And so watching my parents, you know, get older and, and my dad has Parkinson's and my mom mm. is an eternal caregiver. I think the difficult moment is trusting that everybody has their own path and it's not mine to caretake and it's not mine to take on because so much of my life I've wanted to just codependently run everybody else's experience. Fixer. Yeah. Pleaser. Oh, pleaser. Totally. Gosh. And I think the difficult moments are stepping back and just running my own pleasure rather than trying to please everybody and just letting everybody have their own walk with God that doesn't have to be me micromanaging and fixing and controlling and, you know, codependently being weird about. Wow. But collecting them feels like they are exactly as they are to me, or I believe them to be sacred pieces on a treasure hunt that the Creator has left for us to reclaim ourselves, reclaim lost bits of ourselves or or our imagination, maybe just that. Dude, what are you? What 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 are your difficult moments lately? Uh, I find that I am falling in love with myself now, finally, and as such, and I'm, I have this practice that I'm doing of self compassion. It's on my teacher's um, app. It's called Sanctuary, Rod Striker's app, and this practice. I'm on day six. And it's profound because it asks you every single day, what is it that hasn't healed, hasn't been healed in your, in your being? Mm-hmm. Acknowledging that there are things that haven't been healed. And then addressing them and approaching them and, and loving all of these aspects of you that haven't been healed and offering yourself deep, abiding compassion. Mm-hmm. And every day it feels like, I thought I knew exactly what it was that hadn't been healed, but every day there's another thing that's peeling away. And I'm locating another aspect of it another you know distant piece of it i see myself when i'm about 10 mostly when i'm doing the meditation and i shared this with you i i see a little girl with a little barrette on the side a side part and a little barrette and glasses 
hoping the guy next to her in class is liking her as much as she's liking him, wishing for a little more attention from her parents. You know, I see this part of myself, and every day I get to sort of love her a little differently and a little bit more. But as I fall in love with myself, I find I'm falling in love with everything and everybody. And it's almost like, I don't know if I should just keep growing my heart to take everything in, or if I should make clear boundaries. It's very interesting. James and I have fallen much more deeply in love now. Mm. And um, I think the difficulty really is finally saying, okay, this is my person for the rest of my life, even though I don't plan on ever getting married again. And, and really committing to myself in that, mm. knowing that he's that for me, and committing to myself in the midst of that is such a bizarre thing because I too have this codependent like want to fix I'm not a pleaser I'm a fixer yeah (laughs) yeah I'll fix it all for you and to not do that and to let him have his process and to let me have mine and to honor both side by side rather than as one thing I don't know it doesn't seem like a difficult moment but it has been the source of a lot of discussion and a lot of redefinition lately and in the redefinition the treasure has been that he and I are like seeing each other completely new again. Mm. It's so beautiful after four or five years now. Well, and it's so important to hear you say that because knowing you as, as well as I do and knowing your practice as strong as it is, mm. you've been in the practice of self-love for 30 years. And when you say that, it makes me remind myself that it's never somewhere we get. It's something that we always just keep becoming. Totally. And that you hit a new layer and a new stride to bring more love to and then maybe it doesn't matter who's our person but when we're our person monogamous to this woman our woman yeah then everybody else is a beautiful addition that's really nice you know like that that notion that like we'll never stop practicing self-love but remember in that spike jones movie her Oh my God, yes, Joaquin. Yeah, and he's sitting on the step, and she's just having her whole Alan Watts moment. Yes. And he's blown away that she can love 800 people as if they're the same person. And she says, maybe I just don't know if I'll ever stop loving more. And he can't conceive of it through his human mind. (sighs) But it feels like you're in that place of, of, you know, not healing old self-hatred, but just expanding the capacity to love more. Both, I think. Yeah. Dude, I have had moments in my life of hating myself so deeply that I wanted to die. I wanted somebody to hit me. I wanted to hit myself. I never got into cutting or uh, bulimia, but I thought about both. Same. But you know what I've been wondering? Like, back to the little kid thing. So when Jonah was three, I'm sure there's a moment where he said, Mom, I hate you. And your love for him is so big that hatred could just live there. It wasn't a real hatred. I don't think he's ever said that. Okay. Other kids do that. I, <laughs> I, don't, I, can't, rem- I can't recall. He didn't ever do that? No, I don't think so. But I've just been wondering if like, hate, my hatred doesn't have to be this opposite binary to my love. Like, What if my self-love can be so big it can also hold where I hate myself? So I don't need to eradicate where oh, I hate yeah, myself. Because that's nice. that just doesn't seem to go away for me. That's nice. But it doesn't negate right where I'll get off my own team the instant we love or suffer some aspect of the harmony opens so beautiful mm. the the being on your own team yeah I was thinking to sort of bring it into the practical matter for a moment yeah. for anyone who's listening um, the idea that you have this day to day you have a calendar with a bunch of things on it I've learned this from some of my colleagues in my business and to look at what it is that's actually on your calendar against this topography of self-love and see, do these all, these five things I'm doing today or these three things I'm doing today, do they all map into self-love or not? Mm -hmm. I was thinking that would be a very practical way to bring this to the ground. Yeah. You know, there's almost like this hypnagogic act of scheduling things that we don't even think about. Does this serve my practice? Does this serve my business? Does this serve my heart? Does this serve any aspect of me? And how do we make sure of that? 
I don't know. I just feel like that's a good branch to climb. Yeah, and if we look at it practically, when I visualize my my iCal that starts to become like this. You have to get Google Cal. I should. It's Does so, it matter? It's so much prettier. Really? And they just did an update. I just opened my phone and it was updated today. I was like so blessedly confused it? by it. So funny. We get so stuck in our way. Oh my God. The thing about Google. <laughs> sorry to interrupt you. I'm so sorry. That's so not the podcast interviewer yeah. that I want to be. But Google Cal has colors. And so you can make everything like I have. Color coded is Tara is green yeah. and personal is pink. And if I don't have something pink on the calendar every day, yeah. I'm not happy. iCal does too. Okay, <laughs> I didn't know that. But when I look at this biblical like scripture of my iCal or yes. Google Cal, yeah. and practically speaking, when you ask what's scheduled on there that, you know, tends to this love, I think for me it becomes more about what I don't schedule. Like it's the blank spaces that become important to this, this earlier conditioning I was talking about because mm. For me, everything scheduled tends to be with another for another, you know, just with the aspect of work that we're both in. And when I don't schedule, so it's time for me to just stop and unplug from other people's stories and other people's needs. Boom. Then fortunately and unfortunately, everything I'm not facing just mandatorily arises. And so all of the difficult moments that I found every way to numb and distract and addict and avoid away from meet me in those blank spaces. I need, I need like really regimented practices of not avoiding and not distracting to make sure that I don't just keep accumulating difficult moments without processing the wisdom that I can get from them. Mm-hmm. You know, like that perfect place where Maya Angelou will say, when you get give and when you learn teach, mm-hmm. I'll find that I'll, I'll just miss those moments where the difficult moments are giving all of the gold to help another or build humanity or build resilience or build character because I get caught in my own busyness and and quite honestly not my own busyness sometimes my busyness is just trying to avoid myself totally. and so I need the blank space of the calendar to just stop how many do you have in the course of a week let's say I am not as rhythmic as that, I'm more cyclical. So I'll go through feast or famine moments. Like I'll, Ooh, I'll yeah. go two weeks with none and then two weeks with tons. But I don't think that's sane, so I don't recommend it. But mandatorily so, it's got to be every morning. But I think that's the gift that you and I have got with just time and some experience where we don't have to take early morning work. No. So the early morning is really important for me so that I get to determine the energy I run in the day rather than clients or friends or the news running my energy of the day. And then something in the middle where I get to touch in with like one of my people or somebody that fills me and feeds me and that I love so deeply so that throughout the day there's these touchstones of what matters. You know? Yeah. The early early morning thing is critical for me also. And some mornings it's like a five minutes sitting, although now I'm doing self-compassion, so it's a good, I think it's a 10, 11 minute sitting, but then I do my Nadi Shodhana first, I'm having mantras, and then I do that. What's your favorite way of avoiding your difficult process? We know what ours used to be. Oh, my business by far. Yeah. Oh, it's the best. It's the best because here's the funny part. It's It's an abundant distraction. It's an abundant distraction (laughs) that actually helps me help others. So it's the perfect foil to me actually learning more about myself and being alone. But having just gotten back from my two-week foray in Costa Rica, which is happening every December, I see now how important it is. I have spent hours by myself and going for a run on the beach and listening to music and then dancing by myself on the Mm -hmm. beach and then going to get a juice and then doing a little bit of work or not, laying on my bed, looking up at the ceiling, looking out at the mountains. And I got so much insight as to how I want to show up here. Yeah. Came home. I get off the elevator. James was out. Jonah was here alone for a couple of hours on his own. And he comes out. He had been texting me to see when I was coming home. So I'm like, he's following my bags. And then he's, I'm in the car. And he's standing in the hallway. It's like 1130 at night on a, on a Saturday. 
he's standing in the hallway with all of his tall glories, like two inches taller than when I left two weeks ago. His voice is deeper and he's got his arms up, big man arms open, just waiting for me to show up. Mom, I love you. I missed you. You know, 12 years old, he's really strong, strong. And he puts his arms around me and I go, dude, I had this realization. I'm actually afraid to say this, but I'm just going to say it anyway. I had this realization. I love you so much. And I realized that I have friends of mine, colleagues of mine who have children with whom Jonah doesn't necessarily resonate. I realized that I've been pushing these friendships on him. Not that they're even living close, but pushing the idea of him liking these kids whom I like, with whom I resonate deeply. They could be mine. Mm -hmm. And I said to him, really apropos of absolutely nothing in the moment, but suddenly there it was because I'd done so much thinking on several different topics. I said, Jonah, I just want you to know. From now on, I'm just going to let you be who you are. You don't have to like my kids, my friend's kids because I said so. You don't have to be anything you don't want to be. You can play Fortnite if you like, within reason, within boundaries of time. I love your friends. I don't want you to change. I don't want you to be anyone else. And he like basically wow. melted into my arms. Yeah. Look, first he looked at me very quizzically like, what the fuck are you saying? Why are you telling me all this right now? You just got off the plane. I love you. And I, I, I think it actually softened him to such an extent that we, we have had such a nice few days. And he feels seen. You give him so much permission to be himself. But I have collected many difficult moments with him. Yeah. He and I both have collected many difficult moments with each other. And I'm now, I'm just realizing that that's what I have to do. What do you think is, when, when a difficult moment is occurring, what is the first, like, methodological step that you go to right away? Is it to soften? Is it to forgive fast? Is it to... When I'm successful, I'll actually say to the person that I actually need to take a second and I need to excuse myself and walk away and look at some other wall or something else in the house or somewhere, wherever I am. Take a few breaths and just be with what's happening. Mm -hmm. Then I can come back and be a sane, responsive, productive, collected human. If I don't do that, I was raised in a pretty volatile household. My dad is now 70. How old is he? Three two, four, and he's much softer. Everything is much softer now. But when he was younger, it was, it was major. There was a lot of volatility. And so I have raised Jonah up until maybe he was three or four, and now I'm watching with a lot of that sort of very, very reactive energy. And for me to get past that is a project. And it has, it's, it's the ongoing project, actually. And I know, you know, when I talk to people out on the road, so many of us have that, where that was our baseline neutral, was let's fucking fight it out. Let's scream it out. Let's slam it out. Slam a door, slam a drawer, slam it. Look at me, I'm fucking mad, you know, that kind of thing. And now I realize that's actually so antithetical and so counterproductive to everything that I practice every day. Yeah, but swing the pendulum over to my family where similar volatility, but the first reaction isn't to fight, it's to avoid conflict at all costs. So then we can see how like a pleasing and a fixing right. mode. So then just don't say anything or tell a lie or suppress right. and repress becomes right. the other side of that spectrum. Oh. So then learning how to fight has been such an important thing for me to learn how to deal with difficult moments. Wow. So almost same, same, but different, <clears throat> right? Right. I've learned James is, uh, he helps to, he's a part of a men's group. Yeah. And every few weeks he, he oversees them and sort of leads the group. And he has taught me so much about communication. He's also with the great therapist. And just recently I stopped hating him for it <laughs> so honest <laughs> and started to actually listen and follow his lead trust and now your, to trust your man to trust my man hello yeah what's so nice is that he is now really professional in his listening and yeah. so he'll he'll repeat back what i've said but not in like a textbook kind of annoying oh i'm just repeating back what you're fucking saying 
He'll say it in his way and he'll bring a quality of acceptance to it. He's the way you're listening right now with eye contact and not necessarily all the time, but he's also, you know, hmm, and really like there. Mm -hmm. And I have uh, such a resistance to that because I don't want to be taught. And then there's all part of me that really does like I desperately want to be taught. Yeah. So I'm finding in this whole piece about communication, collecting difficult moments and, and trying to figure out where uh, a challenge will teach me how to be a better communicator. I'm learning from James that the most important aspect is just to accept what the other person is offering you, even if it's not your truth. It's what we learned anyway with Handel all these years with the Handel group. Accept what the other person is telling you without trying to change it. And then offer your side in a way that isn't destructive. And this is, like I said, it's my ongoing project. I have no idea what I'm doing still, but I'm trying my best. Well, now everybody is believing their thoughts and convinced that their opinion is well thought through and right. Totally. But I find in relationship where I'll, where I'll go wrong is I'll want to be right, which makes them wrong. Mm. And now we're on opposite teams. Mm. And now there's like a competition or a fight that ensues. For me, in, in the moments of difficult moments, whether it's a friendship that's changed or a, or a heartbreak or a loss, so the more egregious ones, or even just the upsets or the small conflicts, if I can suspend my first judgment of knowing that this is good or bad, then I'll usually be able to find some perspective pretty quickly. But if I could have, you know, the hindsight, the, the, the wisdom of hindsight, life lived in reverse to see that all of the events that I thought were so terrible and so bad and I so messed up were never that. Never. No. And if I could just have suspended the judgment that I knew what was occurring and just let it play out and see what was asked of me, what was being, what was being initiated in me, what was wanting to come online in me, how spirit was intelligently moving it, then it would have been so much easier. It's my quick judgment knowing that this is wrong. And I know what should be right. That has always messed me up. And so that wisdom of hindsight, like I'm so grateful that life or God always knew more than what my mind wanted. You know, like every man that left that I was convinced shouldn't have. Like think God, God is better and smarter and more all-knowing than my tiny mind. (laughs) Because the difficult moments were never what I thought they were, ever. And, and when in any difficult moment were you not so met with grace and so met with an inner voice that was higher? Every single time. Every single time. Every single time. We were just reading also, um, Seth Godin says that difficult moments will uh, reward patience, nuance, and guts. But difficult moments will not be helped by brute force ever. And there's a nice reminder. It's so true. There's a nice reminder. They require emotional labor. They require approaches that feel risky. And they require methods that might not work. And of course, he's not, he's talking about business. But I like to take his work into the land of emotions and human interaction and think, you know, what's risky? What's riskier is me saying to Jonah, it's fine if you want to play your game within reason for a certain number of minutes, a certain days of the week, and I'm not going to freak out about it anymore. And this is something that you really enjoy, and let's do a little test and reconvene in a month or two and see. Mm -hmm. Does it work? Well, yeah, then to Seth's point and your point there, it becomes less about what's happening or what's happened and becomes more creatively about what do I want to do with what's happened? Yeah, yeah. Who do I want to become right. with what's occurring? Right. How do I want to shape this? Right. And so we're not these passive bystanders to a life that's coming at us. It can be something emanating from us and, and, and we can create with it. And choosing, like you say, what kind of energy you're running into your system. If you're listening to this and you've never worked with Allie or never taken her class, 
she often will talk about the sort of current of energy that you're choosing to quote unquote run in your system during class. Think about, if you're listening to this, think about what energy you're running in your system right now. Probably if you're listening to this, you're running a nice receptivity, a nice willingness to learn. Uh, probably you're you know, considering a few things in your life that might need to welcome a different response from you. You might want to take some notes about those. I'm pretty sure I'm going to invite people to take notes in every single day in podcast because mm-hmm. I think it's worth it. I know I take notes every time I listen to somebody. And I was thinking when we were talking earlier, you know, the, the idea of running what, choosing what energy you're running, you mentioned something really erudite, which is what, with what are you identifying in this difficult moment? Mm-hmm. Which I think is what you were just speaking to, but it's a nice way to reframe it also. With what are you identifying? Are you identifying with the fact that you're not getting what you want? Are you identifying with the fact that this person is getting away with something? Like, what are you identifying with and how are you going to respond accordingly? Yeah, 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 exactly. And I, I've been thinking a lot about, for, for myself, this concept of... Um, flexible identities and fixed identities. And so fixed identities for me are friend and daughter and sister and student and Dude, this is going to be good. Okay. This is good. And then the flexible identities are the ones that are up for initiation, you know? So things change and we become mothers or you become Mm. single or you become a widow or you become promoted. These things that shift. And what I've noticed in myself is that I made my fixed identities. I made them about what happened to me. So I was left. I was abandoned. I was abused. Those became my identities. But if I look at collecting difficult moments, what becomes more of an identifier for me and and for people that I see that really want to imagine with it is it's not the identity we have with what happened to us, but it's so much more informative with our identity of what we did with what happened to us. So mm-hmm. I was left and I chose to love myself more. Yep. I was abandoned and I chose not to abandon. And so it's in what we choose to do with what happens that we see so much more of who we actually are, not just what happened to us. But that's the side of the story that rarely gets told, like what we did with it, who we helped from it, how we healed it, what we forgave about it. That's so much more of an identity than just what happened. But I find I will anchor into, I am worthless because I am unchosen because, but that's not real identity. No. What we do with it is so much more informative. I'm going to donate to a charity for each person that I interview. Okay. When I do interviews. Okay. Do you want to pick it now off the cuff or do you want to tell me later? Well, this will be time sensitive at the because I don't know when this is um, being aired. It'll be like January 20. Why don't we keep it going to the Navajo Water Project <clears throat> that we're great? We have donated to in December, and yeah, I'm really wanting to be more local because I've noticed a lot of the things I've wanted to donate to are so far and of other. Yeah, but we got so much scar tissue on this land and in our ancestry that let's go local. Okay. The Navajo Water Project is, uh, you can look it up by looking at uh, digdeep.org. Specifically on my Facebook page until the end of January, we're going to be raising money for it together with you. Elena Brower, it's a public post so you can see it. And it's also a fundraiser on Facebook to make it easier. I have it in a few places, so anywhere anybody wants to donate money, we'll, we'll take it. The whole idea of this is to help provide solar and water, solar power and water to clean water to uh, a certain number of households on the Navajo land in the middle of our country where the need is greatest at this time. Uh, When you look at the pictures, it's some of the saddest things I've ever seen where people are living in like basically wood sheds with no sink and no toilet and addiction is rife in these places because there's no support and when I think about you know sitting as a that 10 year old with which we began with whom we began learning about Native Americans and the way it was romanticized for us Mm -hmm. fuckers 
-hmm. It was romanticized. The pictures, I can see them in my textbook mm -hmm. of the white men and the natives being so peaceful and joining hands. That, that was such a bullshit story. Mm -hmm. And I remember mm -hmm. picking up on that lie. Mm -hmm. So Being on stolen land. Stolen, straight up. Mm -hmm. And then the, the, the massacre that we call Thanksgiving, mm -hmm. the straight up massacre. I'm obsessed with this. I, I'm not letting go of this. Um, can I ask you, I, I don't want to deviate too much, can I ask you a question back on the work and calendar thing? Totes. Did you ever have to get over or heal or figure out a way that when you're not being productive, you'd feel worthless? I am the worst person to ask this question. Like when you stop, do you ever feel like your existence doesn't matter? <laughs> I, I don't go so far. I know okay, that it does I go now. So far. No, I know that it does now. And frankly, you should not feel that way because not that I should tell you what to feel, but you're now a part of this of this my business also. We're part of the same business and when you aren't working necessarily, there's still education going on, there's still sharing going on, there's still movement happening in totally. your in your business. So it's not you know, there's nothing worthless at all. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's up until now, most of your quote-unquote worth and value has been around your teaching, mm -hmm. clients, classes, and you're finally, Allie's in a place right now where she's taking things off of her schedule, particularly in the teaching realm, mm -hmm. which I'm very happy about. I'm sorry, New York City. <laughs> I really am sorry. <laughs> Truly sorry. But what's fun about it is Allie now gets to focus on what it is that means uh, something to her. She gets to focus on also her business. She gets to focus on residual income. She gets to focus on her savings. She wants to buy land. You know, there's there are things that are going on for you. What I would say, though, is that every time I stop, I, again, am the worst person to ask because I'll go lay on the biomat and, like, Make that the action. Be productive. I'll while listen rest. to Yoga Nidra. Exactly. I'll meditate. I'll do something. It's still a fucking production. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's still productive. Yeah. It's embarrassing. So, yeah, the next thing I have to do, and I took this note from my teacher actually last week on retreat. He was like, you know, I'm looking around, and the, there's a cafe where we are. We're up on a hill, beautiful hill in the Costa Rican jungle looking out over the ocean, he said, and I see people walking around this cafe all day with their eyeballs and a goddamn phone. Mm -hmm. And they're not actually looking at the world out there, mm -hmm. just staring off into the distance, letting whatever thoughts arise or no thoughts at all mm -hmm. arise. And I, I really, that really struck me. I wrote it down in my notebook and I wrote, uh, stop with a stop sign, like just stop, and yeah. stop trying to be perfect, stop trying to do your yoga nidra, mm -hmm. stop trying to meditate, stop trying to do it, just sit still, Yeah, like I can't even sit still without opening up an art book, or exactly. picking up a paintbrush, or something that's going to lead somewhere, Yeah. so that's my next frontier, my next vista. Yeah, because I find in, in incessant productivity for me, when I stop, it is a worth thing, but I also have this, this quiet nagging thought or loud nagging thought that is almost as if everything is always about to fall apart. Ah. And around collecting difficult moments, when I look at it, the difficult moments are never that hard. My expectation of future difficult moments are always the most stressful. Dude. That if I stop or I stop producing or I stop working or serving, that everything will shift for the worse. That's yes. where you know worry and anxiety and panic live. But yes. When I'm in the difficult moment, I know exactly, or my subconscious knows exactly what to do. It's the anticipation of them that paralyzes me. I get that. I get that. And I think sometimes that's why I just keep going. <laughs> that's not where I want to work from. That's so counterproductive to what we're attempting to do. Do you notice that those moments of worry like, like that have dissipated so over much. the years? So much. With your practice? Oh my! I used to have to call my mom when I was sick. As an adult woman in my twenties, I'd have to call her when I was I sick. I still want to call my wife. Right. Damn it. But I would call her to give me permission to rest. Oh, <laughs> oh babe. but but now no, now it's so much more mature. But it's still there. It's still there for sure. Yeah, that I should be. 
I say, no, thank God we have a meditation practice because without it, we would still be like hot mess, smoking spliffs on the roof. Hot mess. Hot mess. Funny, but hot mess. Funny. (laughs) (laughs) We were funny. We still are funny. I have three questions that I think I want to ask every guest, but I'm definitely asking them of you. Will you answer them too? I will answer them as well. The first, what needs healing right now in your life? What needs healing is um, in a process of being healed, just an unshakable faith in God that I'm being walked, that we're all being walked. It's so easy for me to empathically feel myself and others in the world and be convinced that this is a broken place going to broken places. And I can't heal those big things, but I can definitely work on healing my trust that the Creator and the Divine Mother has this and is walking us and holds this. And yeah, I just keep showing up my very best with an unburdened heart. So trusting God and life and love. I think mine is also a version of that, although yours brought tears to my eyes. Mine is just more healing of judgment. And uh, I've just learned, actually, that to do that practical, like, here's the step to heal judgment, contextualize what you're judging or who you're judging. So if it's a person, put them into the little barrette and glasses and pigtails and and see where they were when they were 10 or 5 or 15 and see why all this is happening when you think about you know, anything in politics or any any hate group, any extremist, you can look at their childhood and you can know mm-hmm. unequivocally why mm-hmm. they're acting this way. And the second thing um, along those same lines is just to get more and more deeply familiar with what the quote-unquote other side is doing and saying and feeling so that it's not so surprising mm-hmm. anymore. I got that cue from uh, Van Jones. He was interviewed by Tammy Simon on her Insights at the Edge podcast. And I he shared it with one. you. So good. Were you Everybody should me? No, you shared it with me and Tony uh-huh. and John James. Right, right. That wow. changed me. If, if you're listening to this and you really want to take a next step, listen to Van Jones, V-A-N Jones, being interviewed on Insights at the Edge. What a mind, what a heart, what a spirit, what a man. Bridging worlds, too. Yeah. Bridging worlds. Second question, what's your favorite view? Eye to eye. Oh, that's a fucking great answer, dude. Yeah, man. <laughs> I was ready to like, oh, the ocean, no. you know, no. I spent so much time trying to get like up and out of my experience Same. and see it from perspective and a spiritual lens. And really, I was just avoiding intimacy <laughs> and conflict and telling the truth. Or then I would go lower than somebody and have to look up at them and think that it was always judgment. And every time I judge, to your point, I'm just pushing me or someone out of my heart. Yeah. And when I go eye to eye, and that's kind of on Van Jones's, that's what was so altering about his podcast, where he follows mostly people with alternative views than him. Yeah. But being able to go eye to eye and voice to voice and heart to heart, you can't not soften when you see that somebody just believes what they think. Yep. With conviction. Yep. Even if it's not the same as yours. Yeah. I was going to say my favorite view Mm -hmm. is the back side of my son's neck. Mm. Right where his hairline is on the side but the back of his neck. Wow. It used to be my grandfather's. And of course, anytime I can get there with James, like just to hang out there, nuzzle there. But when I get when he when my son lets me in there for a few minutes, wow. yeah, it's just like a drug. As a, parent, as, as a non-parent, it's impossible to imagine that kind of love. Oh, it's just crazy. Although you can imagine it with my Jonah. Yeah, that's, he's, he's easy to do it with. <laughs> you guys love you each know other so much. You know what I'm thinking about while we do this? I whoever is listening. Yes. I feel like everybody needs to do this because you're one of my best friends in the world and yes. we're together all the time, but we never just sit eye to eye without phones and work and people and just yeah. chat. Yeah. And it's so nice. We have this perceived other, but nobody's here. And it's so 
it's like healing and I love it so much yes what's funny also is that if you're listening to this and we only have one mic between us and I hope we're close enough I hope everybody can hear what we're saying but the the act of not grabbing my phone and not looking at notes is hard yeah I've noticed it like at least five times same same it's amazing to me and it just keeps going to like deeper levels of intimacy and fun yeah we have to get better at this this. is an amazing exercise yes we have to get better at this. People but should sit with a pretend audience to just be <laughs> with each other. <laughs> I think that's such a good idea. What? Third question. Yeah. Third and final. What does prayer mean to you? Um, prayer to me means recovering a lost language, an old language, like the true mother tongue, mm. where I think prayer got... I'm a bit of a conspiracy theorist at heart. So I think prayer got taken out of our hands and put into the hands of men and church and things we had to remember and read rather than like this weird language we have to stumble through to just talk to the part of us that is us. So prayer to me is a place where I have to just humble myself to ask for help and to say thank you and to remember that, you know, that that why prayer is so important for my practice in my life is I love prayer out loud but prayer said inside quietly silently inside makes me wonder who could listen to my quiet inner place you know that that place that could listen must be inside of me inseparable from me so it instantly is a redirect back to something inside that's listening that wants to hear what I have to say so prayer to me is that it's, an, it's a language that we don't want to go extinct. Which provides confirmation, if I may, yeah. that in fact the divine is nothing other than and nothing different from, yeah. even though it is higher than, yeah. but it's just inside of each of us. That's so well said. Dude, you said it. What's prayer to you? To me, it used to be a lot of asking and collapsing. Yeah. A lot. And now it's more this relaxing. Uh, there's an element of asking still, but I know that's not the point. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's more asking as an affirmation, affirming my humility is what I want to say. Just affirming the fact that I really don't know. I don't have an answer. I don't know what to do. And... I'm listening. I ran into this woman in Mexico recently, and she was a Christian missionary. And she reminded me of something that, you know, if I had judgment first, I would have missed how good these teachings were, where she realized there was a point where she stopped praying for her selfish needs, and she started praying for God's will. Mm. And when she prayed for God's will, she was always praying for the thing that was exactly occurring. Because if it was occurring, it must be the will of God. So then it stopped being a prayer to get out of a situation she was in and to just get right with what was. And that prayer definition to me, redirect, that was everything. Just get right with what was. Yeah. With what is. Yeah. This must be your will, creator. (laughs) Then how do I get right with it? Listener, you have homework. Your mission, should you choose to accept it. Highly recommend it. Hear and map what your inner voice has been saying about difficult moments. And by mapping, Ali and I sometimes map things and we will make like a we'll take like a big piece of construction paper and just start making a mind map, something in the middle and then things fanning out to the sides and then subtexts over on the side in the corner and then we screw up and don't have enough space for that one and then Lena watercolors all over it and then we we start praying over it saging it singing to it uh, put crystals on it hear and map what your inner voice has been saying really look at it make it beautiful if you want to make it make it scary if it feels scary make it real Um, that may prompt you to write a list of what scares you off of that. But it also may prompt you to write a list of your dreams. So that is always fun to do. And you could do that literally every day. You could do that weekly. You could do it monthly. Um, Other things bless things more. 
and two, ask a couple of people for feedback on how you handle difficult moments. Good one. Yeah. I, most of the folks who uh, have followed my work for any length of time know that I've taken a big note from the Handel group and I ask Jonah almost every night what I could have done better today. And sometimes I remember to ask James and sometimes he asks me, but it's just such a cool thing to ask the people who are closest to you, like, what could I have done better today? What, where do I need to mm-hmm. do some work on myself right now? And I think that's a good, a good place to land in the, in the world of homework if you want to do any. And to the earlier point, when somebody offers the feedback at the difficult moment, mm. what will kind of be the salve to the emotional sting that the ego takes mm. is to not identify with the feedback feedback they give you, but identify with what you do with it. Boom. So it's not about you being a jerk. It's about how you healed being a jerk. I'm going to reread what you read at the beginning, if that's okay. Please. Again, this is Mark Nepo, and the piece is called Eternal Two-Step on page 33 of his Things That Join the Sea and Sky. What if it's all been misread? What if our insistence on primacy over each other only makes us lonely? What if the clouds we avoid float above our knotted way simply to cry for us, and it's their tears that make everything grow? But all the suffering, you say, all the ways we are so cruel... I have no answer, only this. The instant our life is conceived, our death is written. The instant a darkness descends, the light that will dissipate it is waiting. The two-step that cradles our lives is unseeable, unstoppable. Like surf that rushes in and undertows out, we are made and unmade. The instant we love or suffer, some aspect of the harmony opens, and what has always been comes together only to come apart. It renews our fear of dying and stirs our want to live. But I will close by saying I am absolutely not afraid to die. I'm not either. I'm actually secretly not psyched because I think about the people that would be left behind, but boy, it seems like such a beautiful process when I watch my mom go through it. Mm -hmm. Only sad people were us, and she was, you know... I could see her fighting, but towards the end, I could see that it was the rightest thing. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't afraid. Mm-hmm. I didn't miss her ass, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. I'm sure. Judy. Mimi. Memes. <laughs> I think I'll close this by saying don't be afraid to die. And if death does scare you, perhaps you want to hear and map what your inner voice is saying around death and start to you know, do some research and study Roshi Joan Halifax and study people who are there to usher the dying through in a very beautiful way. Anybody who works in hospice, you know, research. And if death scares you, get cool with it. Meditate. Get cool with it. Do Shavasana. Do Yoga Nidra. Get cool with it because the, the opportunity to live a full, full life without that fear is too good to pass up. And difficult moments are like a million little D deaths of our expectations of how we thought things were going to go to get us ready for the big D death. Wow. Little D. Little D death. Difficult moments. (laughs) The little Ds. (laughs) Dude, I love you. I love you so much. This is such a joy. Yeah. Make sure James and you do one of these. Yeah, I will for sure. Yeah. I think... uh, I think this is the nicest thing I've done in weeks. Even having been on the beach, I'm so happy we did this. Thank you. Yeah, I can't do. thank you enough. Yeah. Love you so much. Love you. Love you, people. Yes, love you, people. Thank you for listening. Thank you, AG1, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. 
My listener, you've been hearing me talk about AG1 for some time. I think I've been taking it daily for almost three years. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens in one scoop in the morning. The best way to start your day supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and longevity, the conversation of the moment. The taste is delicious. It's suitable whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. No nonsense in here at all. It's a multivitamin that your body will actually absorb. If you are wanting to make an investment in your health and longevity, AG1 costs you less than $3 a day, far less expensive, and definitely less time-consuming than many different supplements. Reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient, delicious daily nutrition. And since you listen to the Practice You podcast, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-boosting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Elena. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash E-L-E-N-A. Take ownership of your health, my listener. And thank you, Athletic Greens and AG1.